Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy to have you worshiping with us this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our message uh, for today. Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you that as, as we gather, you promise that your presence will be with us. Um, as we study your word, as we try to become people who are made more and more into your image, Lord, every, every day, every week, every time we gather together, Lord, you are with us and helping us to do it. Um, through our time hearing the word, through our time worshiping, uh, through our time gathering together before and after church, all of it, Lord, I just pray that you be using it to help us to become more like your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a magnetic calendar, like on our fridge door, and uh, Julie kind of plans out the meals that we'll be eating every week on it. Um, And so, you know, if you know anything about Julie, you know that she really enjoys kind of putting some some time in, trying to enjoy meals, uh, trying out new things. She's always trying out new stuff on me, and it's almost always, it's almost always really good. Um, And so it's kind of fun. I always enjoy kind of seeing what is coming up for the week, looking at the calendar. So like, for example, it could look like this. Monday morning, it could say something like barbecue street pork tacos. Tuesday could be stir fry. Wednesday, enchiladas. Thursday, banana pancakes. And Friday is pizza. We actually do pizza every Friday night together. We make homemade pizza together. It's super fun. Okay, so usually that's that's what the calendar looks like. But every once in a while, one of those nights, um, it'll say... Uh, leftovers. It'll just say leftovers on there. Now, when we have leftovers, we mean exactly what you think we do, right? We're just clearing out the fridge. Um, Anything that's kind of accumulated in the fridge throughout the last week or two, we're going to get rid of it that night. That's kind of the, the, the plan. And so, okay, so it's a bunch of random stuff thrown together. And you could call that like a bold fusion choice. If you wanted to really try and spin it one way, you could say, we're going to have pizza, stir fry, and enchiladas, and it's an Asian-Mexican-Italian fusion. That's what Julie could put on the calendar, right? But really, you know, it's just finishing off whatever is in the fridge. It's, it's just leftovers. Um, it's stuff that, honestly, is in the fridge because maybe we didn't like it that much the first time, but we've got to finish it up, right? The point is this, when you think of leftovers, you're not really thinking of something that's special. It's not like a special occasion to eat leftovers. Um, You wouldn't invite your neighbors. Let's say you had new neighbors that moved in next door to you and you decided, hey, let's welcome them to the neighborhood, invite them over to a meal, and then serve them your leftover enchiladas from earlier in the week, right? They would, they would, you know, they, they wouldn't buy that it's just some really good fusion. They would know, hey, this looks like, you know, I saw you just throw that in the microwave and eat it. I know what, you know, you know what food is like when, you know, it's, it's, it's been cold for a little while, right? It would communicate to them, hey, you know, we didn't have any time or desire to cook you anything nice, and so you're getting our scraps, right? They would feel like this is not special. That's what is communicated by leftovers. That's how we feel about leftovers. Okay, when we look at scripture, though, we find that God doesn't have this mindset towards leftovers when the leftovers are a group of people, okay? And instead, what God does with leftovers is he takes something that's not special, and he makes it special 
by his grace. And what I want us to do is, is kind of meditate on that idea. Kind of go look at, uh, you know, uh, some passages in scripture where we see God talk about leftovers and what his plan is for them. And we're in a series called According to Grace, where we're looking back on stories of people in the Old Testament, and we're seeing that God has a pattern of acting according to grace again and again. And we see this, you know, talked about in the New Testament, but it's also the pattern that we see as we trace it throughout the Old Testament in his dealing with people. And really, it's, it's kind of a character study of God that's supposed to fill us with hope and joy as we understand better who God is, that he gets things done in the world according to this pattern of grace. This is how he accomplishes things. And previously, we've talked about things like how grace creates new realities, how it transforms us so we can go do good. And last week, we talked about how it works behind the scenes Oftentimes. Now, today, what I want to talk about specifically, kind of picking up on that idea of leftovers, is how grace can give us identity and significance, especially as we think about the present moment that the church finds itself in, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And we're going to learn a little bit about a group of people, um, really kind of a concept that we find throughout Scripture. And it's sometimes called the remnant, okay? So today we're talking about this idea of the remnant and embracing an identity of being a remnant of grace today. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to explain uh, what the remnant of grace is in the Old Testament, right? It's maybe not a familiar concept for many. It's not something you probably would have heard about in Sunday school class growing up, okay? Um, And then I want to ask us, how do we live as a faithful remnant kind of created out of God's grace in our own time? Okay, great. So let's get into it. So there's a lot of texts in the Old Testament that talk about a remnant, okay? I picked one here from Isaiah 37, 31 to 32. This is really, I think, a good one. Just kind of short description of, of the remnant. God says through the prophet Isaiah, once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant um, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Almighty Lord will accomplish this. Okay, so that word remnant, it comes out of a Hebrew word that literally means leftovers, residue, remains. Okay, that's, that's what the word means. Um, you know, you could think of like a, a harvest, right? And like, or maybe you're at an apple orchard and, you know, you're picking the good apples and you kind of notice on the ground there's some apples that have fallen off the tree or someone picked it and saw, you know, maybe it was a little bit rotten or there was a worm crawling into it and they just tossed it on the ground. Okay, that's like a word you would use maybe to describe in Old Testament times, the remains of a harvest, the stuff that's just laying on the ground that wasn't wanted. Okay, it's kind of a stark image when it's applied to a group of people. Um, and, and it gets described, it gets used to describe different groups of people who have become leftovers. Um, you know, they're the remains, they're the residue from these tragic events in Israel's history, like the great exiles. There's several of them that happened throughout the Old Testament story. And what happens oftentimes in these is there's, God is visiting hundreds of years of Israel's unfaithfulness and disobedience and idolatry onto them. And it results in this huge disaster where other nations come in and kind of take a bunch of them off into exile. But there is a group of people who kind of stay in the land or who aren't destroyed. They're kind of the leftovers. They get to stick around. And you would think, well, nothing is special about them, right? But God says that they're going to survive, And he says that even though they won't constitute any sort of real political or cultural significance, they're just going to be, you know, a random pizza slice in the fridge. They're refugees, exiles, losers who have to scrap to survive. They're 
All the places that they go, they'd feel a sense of being the odd ones out, strangers, kind of nomads without a home, the minority everywhere and the majority nowhere. They'd be misunderstood. They'd be blamed. They'd be, they would be blamed for problems in the society that they lived in. They'd become feared by the majority cultures that have maybe taken them over. Okay, despite all that, God says that through the, prophet, through the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and others, he says he has a plan for this group of people. And it's going to fit this pattern of his grace to make them special by his grace. They're going to take root below and bear fruit above. God is going to do something through this group of people. An Old Testament scholar named John Goldengay says this, the term remnant suggests the way that God's grace ensures that the people of God doesn't entirely disappear, despite its waywardness. It also suggests a challenge. The remnant, the people who survive and remain, are challenged to become a faithful remnant. Okay, being a remnant isn't a sign that God spared them because they were, you know, better than everyone else or that they merited it, okay? Remember, in this series, we've been talking about how grace doesn't work like that. It's not owed by God to anyone who receives it. It's not merited it. It's given freely. You could bring something positive to the table. You could bring something negative to the table. God is going to give his grace indiscriminately to people regardless of those things. And that's how he works, right? If God did ultimately give us uh, what we deserve, we would find that we all fall short of his standard. But the truth is he doesn't really care about the value systems that we put on each other or even the ones that he puts on us because his grace overcomes that. And what God's grace does do is give significance and meaning to those who might just think of themselves as leftovers. Okay? It lets them know that they aren't just afterthoughts to God. It gives them clarity and focus and really no option to just be lukewarm. It says to them, you have become leftovers and you're experiencing lots of trouble because of it. But that doesn't mean despair. It actually means hope because God's purposes will still come. And they might even come still through you. It gives these people dignity and purpose that God wants to work through people who really wouldn't expect themselves to be the ones that God would work through. And God wants them to respond to all this in hope, in faithfulness and resilience to his grace. And he is going to choose to do something extraordinary out of them. Okay, so that's a little bit about this group, the remnant in the Old Testament. Now, there's a letter written in the New Testament that has a lot of echoes of this idea and how it talks about the group of people that it's being written to and kind of talks about what the people of God are supposed to look like, right? It uses the ideas of grace, of people being strangers who are scattered throughout the world, who are not in their true home, who are experiencing trouble because of it. And that letter is the letter of 1 Peter, It's written to uh, a group of people in the Roman province of Galatia who are experiencing uh, persecution and trials because of what they believed. Okay, and right at the very beginning of the letter, and then at kind of in the in the address or in the greeting, and then right at the very end, in kind of the salutation, we see a couple of these echoes right off the bat. It's the letter is framed by these ideas. Okay, so for example, right away in verse one, um, Peter writes to these people. He calls them God's elect exiles who are scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, so you guys are elect exiles. You are people who are scattered. That's how he addresses them, okay? And he ends the letter by saying, my purpose 
in writing is to encourage you and assure you that you are experiencing, what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Okay, so we see this exile language used to describe the remnant in the Old Testament scattered. And what you're experiencing, it's grace. Strange as that may seem, it's grace. And the letter, kind of in between these two things, spends a lot of time uh, explaining how these people, how they're experiencing grace in their trouble, and how they're supposed to stand firm, how they're supposed to live in this grace. And ultimately, uh, we won't get into this a ton today, um, but they experience that grace by being like Jesus, okay? They, They experience this grace by being like Jesus, by kind of experiencing hardship, challenge, trouble, persecution, and standing firmly and hoping in God and living a certain way because of it. And they're challenged to live a certain way themselves. Now, I think 1 Peter, and this idea of a remnant as well, I think it can become very resonant with us because it's written to this minority in the midst of a completely non-Christian society. Now, we live in a society, I think, that is, is more conducive to faith than they did for sure. But we also find ourselves increasingly living ever more in a post-Christian society. Uh, the church and faith just have very little influence in many places. Um, you, don't get, <laughs> you don't get a lot of style points for being a Christian in society right now. Um, I know when I get my hair cut, uh, I usually go during the day because I have the, you know, the flexibility in my schedule to do that, and I beat the rush. And so they're like, oh, you're not working today? Or, and I kind of tell them, well, I got some flexibility in my job. And they're like, well, what do you do? And I tell them I'm a pastor, and usually the conversation stops after that. Okay? People are not, or maybe they move on to talking about something else. It's just not something people really want to talk about um, I don't think I need to throw stats on the screen here to show you, you know, about the decline in the church attendance or decline in people who identify as Christian um, or the decline of just our relevance in society right now. And, or maybe even how we could talk about how in the eyes of some people in culture, like being a Christian is almost an immoral thing. It's actually kind of gone from at one time being seen as like a sign of being moral is being a Christian. It's flipped now. It's actually maybe a sign of immorality to some people. Okay? And we see this on a day-to-day basis, right? We, we probably all know people who used to be maybe deeply committed to Jesus, involved in their churches, leaders and models for others who haven't been to church in a long time and who don't really seem that interested in it. Maybe they've completely left the faith altogether. Maybe you feel pulled towards that some days as well. And there's lots of reasons for all this, and it's really not the point of the sermon to get into it. Some of them are fair and understandable, I actually think. Uh, I think a lot of them also are not, too. It's kind of a a mixture of both. But regardless, if we deny uh, this is a reality all around us, we're kind of whistling past the graveyard. This is just the world that we find ourselves in. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, okay? I'm sure you notice it. Maybe you feel scared by it. Maybe, maybe you're glad. Maybe you think that some of this is deserved for, or something. Maybe you just don't care. Maybe you just kind of, you know, get, get on and go about your normal day, um, you know, as if this is not really what's going on in the world. Whatever you feel, it's kind of a moot point because I think here's another reality. I think it's important that we grasp this. If you're still here, okay, if you're truly part of the church, if you're committed to following Jesus, it's truly something that you put at the center of your life, If you have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, and if you sense the Spirit at work in your life, if something about this whole Jesus thing still captivates you enough to be part of a church and to walk with him daily, okay, then I think you're part of a modern-day version of the remnant. 
the remains, the leftovers that God has set apart for himself in grace. And I think who he wants to work through here in the present. Okay, we're still here. We're carved out by God's grace. And I think the challenge for any remnant, and then therefore for us, is to be a faithful remnant. Remember what we said before, the remnant, the people who survive and remain are challenged to become a faithful remnant. And so what I want to do is, I, for the rest of the sermon, I want to kind of talk about what it looks like for us to adopt a, a certain mindset, a remnant mindset that is going to help us, I think, to walk well in the midst of all of this, to be the kind of people who acknowledge God's grace and who live in it. Now, I think mindset is really important because I think it's easy to get scared. And when I feel that way, actually, there's a, there's a, a scene in, the, in the, the first Lord of the Rings book, Fellowship of the Ring, um, that I always come back to. It's always very encouraging to me. And it, the, the Hobbit Frodo, in case you're not that familiar with, with the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit Frodo, he's kind of lamenting to Gandalf, who's like a wise wizard, that he wishes he lived in another time in the kind of terrible time that he lived in, in the moment. And Gandalf responds to him by saying, you know, so do all who live to see such time. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world than just the ones of evil, and that is an encouraging thought. Okay, so Frodo kind of expresses one mindset to Gandalf, and Gandalf kind of responds by offering Frodo an alternative mindset, which gives him purpose and, I think, clarity to what Frodo sees as purposelessness and fear. Okay, and I think when we take on a remnant mindset, we are giving, through it kind of acknowledging God's grace, we're giving ourselves significance and purpose in the moment that we're in. Okay, and a path to walk beyond just maybe lashing out, fighting back in fear, or siloing ourselves off in little pods, or uh, just kind of living in despair about it. Okay, I think a remnant mindset accepts kind of all we've talked about here so far, and it's not afraid to live as a remnant in a place where we might just be seen as nothing more than leftovers, because we're trusting that God's grace gives us significance and also gives us a future to be the people who God is going to work through in our own time. Okay? I really think at this moment that we live in, there's maybe no more important mindset for Christians to adopt than this remnant one. If we're going to really follow Jesus well in America, and I think actually to ever have a hope of thriving, okay? I think it's absolutely crucial for us. Okay, so let's get into this, what this remnant mindset looks like. And I want to use 1 Peter, take some stuff from 1 Peter uh, to try to kind of set that out for us, frame it for us a little bit. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to, it's called the ABCs of a remnant mindset. I worked really hard to make this go from A to F for you all to, to today to help you try to, to remember it. Okay, we're going to go through these six different aspects of a remnant mindset that we find in First Peter. Okay, this is what it looks like for us to live in God's grace. And those six things are, are being all in, benev- being benevolent, crying out in lament, having dependence, having elasticity, and having faith and hope. So let's get into all these, okay? First off, being all in. And this comes from uh, 1 Peter 1, 4b to, um, I don't know, 14b to 16. Sorry. All right. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as the God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Okay, I think if we want to truly receive and be part of the glory of God's grace, we can't just kind of pick and choose to do it when it's convenient. We kind of have to commit to being all in. 
Okay? I think God in his grace, what he's done is he's making us, making us a part of the remnant. What he's doing is he's giving us life. He's giving us the gift of Jesus. He's given us as the, the group of people who have the presence of God living with them. Okay? He's given us freedom from sin and guilt and shame. He has given us life. He's given us identity. He's given us a community to gather together. It's something that is so increasingly rare in society. You find that in the church. Okay? And it's founded on something far better than anything we could find anywhere else. God's love and his grace for us. And he's given us like, truth himself. This is what we have that's been given to us to make us part of this remnant. Just scuffling along and living in that grace only when it's convenient, it turns that grace cheap. Okay? It's not the kind of response that fits the grace that's been given. And so I don't think there can be any fence sitting if we want to embrace being in the remnant. We have to choose to be all in. We were having a staff meeting last week, and Zach kind of, he framed this in a way I thought which was really helpful. Zach Doman, our worship leader. So I'm kind of stealing this from him, okay? He said that, he kind of talked about how, like, we can have a tendency to think of ourselves in a church. And I don't, I really don't think we realize this, because it's kind of how we engage with everything else in the world right now. We kind of tend to think of ourselves as, like, customers getting a product, okay? We're looking for maybe happiness, an experience of some kind, community. I'm not sure. It could be a lot of different things. And we find ourselves, we're, we don't feel like we're getting the product. We find ourselves getting upset with the institution or management or whoever. Management, right? I'm saying that in that kind of term. And we, we, we feel like we're not getting the product. Okay, We're not fans of the product maybe or something, right? And it, it could be whatever. It could be the preaching, the worship, the, the programs, etc. It's not something we're looking for. And, and so we come when it's convenient or we sulk when our things aren't like we prefer. We maybe even think about leaving or do leave, okay? That's something that you do just see, right? I think if you're going to be part of the church, okay, especially now, we have to shift our mindset to not thinking of ourselves as consumers of some product, but as employees or members of the team, okay? We have to have an idea that we all have ownership over all of this, okay? All of this stuff that we're doing, we're all members of it. We're all employees. We're all working towards the same thing, okay? And our roles within that look different, right? We could become something as big as an actual leader in it. I also think it can be just as small as contributing your presence consistently, Okay? Being all in, I think, ultimately starts with a kind of, a kind of presence that we can have and being in, in, all in on this with our presence and asking ourselves regularly, are we contributing to the community of grace or are we using it in some way? Okay? I think lots of people have a tendency or feel the urge to use the church in some way for friendship, for morale boost from time to time, to fill their spirituality bucket, whatever it is. They're looking for something to get from the church instead of seeing themselves as members or employees, people who are a part of what's going on, what the mission of this group is. And so I think in order for us to truly take part in God's grace and be part of what he's up to in this remnant work we can't be fence-sitting. We can't be users. We've got to be contributors in some way. Okay, there's a radical nature to our response to God's grace that we can sometimes feel the urge to dodge in some way. Okay? But here's the reality. A church or a remnant full of people who are trying to dodge responsibility is dead on arrival. It's got no future. 
it's going to die out. It's very unlikely to be a place where God's grace produces something new. But I think a community that is all in can, because it starts to become an attractive counterculture, I think, to a world that is desperate for some real life, because it's the place where God's grace and presence resides, which is exactly, I think, what the world needs. Okay, and actually that leads us to our second thing I want to talk about today, benevolence. Okay, um, I got a few verses on the screen. I'm actually a longer text um, for you here that includes some of these um, some of these verses I have on the screen. Okay, so this comes from 1 Peter 2, verses 12 through 17. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as the head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that, you do, that, you, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the, the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Okay? Another way we could put this, we want to just sum this up into something really succinct, is we should make the fruit of the Spirit... Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and the posture of grace, the markers, the things that people around us know us by. Okay, that's how people ought to know us. When we become a minority, I think there can be this kind of knee-jerk tendency to want to fight back in some way, right? I think we see this impulse in the church a lot of times, the American church especially. But that's not the way of the remnant, okay? The remnant doesn't need to treat disagreement with the wider culture as this existential sort of zero-sum fight-to-the-death cage match, okay? That's what you see a lot of, I think, Christians doing as they respond to the changes going around us. But that's not the mindset of an exile. I think that's really fear and a lack of trust in God's grace kind of manifesting, the fear is understandable, right? Especially in seasons of rapid change, what we're, which we're absolutely living in. But I think, you know, people who aren't Christian acting unchristian should not be a surprising thing to us that gets us all in a fit and angry, okay? That shouldn't, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Instead, I think we have to be committed to showing grace to people and cities around us, even if they don't believe, okay? We are who we are by grace, and we have no right to withhold it from others based off of the good or the bad that they do or don't do, okay? And as we commit to doing that, I think we quit living in fear and we start living in love. And as we do so, we start to become like Jesus towards them, okay? And this is where bearing this fruit of the Spirit is so, so important. We talk about this a lot at Res City, this idea of bearing the fruit of the Spirit, letting, walking in the Spirit so that the life of God's grace and love flows out of us to people around us. I think this is so important, and it really has to be one of our controlling goals for how we are choosing to relate to the world around us. We are going to be people who are full of compassion, wanting their best, hoping to see them flourish, and learning that it's possible to flourish with people who disagree with us as well. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, crying out in lament. Okay, this comes from 1 Peter four seventeen. For the time has come for, for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Okay, what Peter's talking about here is that God is a God who does hold 
institutions, holds people accountable, okay? He's not a fan of sin. He does something about sin in his world, okay? And I think we see that in the world uh, in different moments, okay? That's what's happening in the moments that kind of create this remnant that we talk about in the Old Testament in the first place. It's God holding Israel accountable for their sin, for their idolatry. And Peter says that this is, well, this is uh, also uh, happening in the present sometimes as well, that God's people, the church, find themselves also experiencing, okay? I think, okay, this is, this is kind of just how I have a hard time not seeing this being the case. I think God is allowing the church to reckon with the consequences of some of its failures, okay? We did a series on deconstruction a few years ago, and we said that there are forms of deconstruction, okay, it's definitely not all of them, I think, but some that are actually healthy because God is spurring on in us a, a recalibration, looking again at things that he wants to kill off. He wants to die off, okay? I think business as usual in the church has in a lot of ways been displeasing to God and needs to be challenged, okay? A lot of the fallout that I think we're seeing right now in society where the church used to be a bigger influence is, is a fallout from this. And whether it's, it's different methods, it's posture towards the rest of society around it, from the way that actually the church has a lot of times been turned into the culture that it's supposed to be distinct from, okay? Confusing maybe our gospel with some political one, being too concerned with power or comfort or attention, being unrepentant about it, having little to no shame, being self-absorbed at times, uh, creating personality cults in the church, playing ourselves off against one another, um, having maybe a consumer mindset or treating the gospel as some kind of product or brand to be sold to people, okay? Refusing to have compassion or empathy to let the Spirit lead us in love, caring a little about justice, being maybe insensitive to the poor and marginalized around us. I think all of these are things that God wants to challenge in us and wants to let die off, okay? And so what's dying off? Now, as we see those things challenge, we see the fallout from those things coming, what we're seeing is something that wasn't pleasing to God, okay? But it's tough to live through that, okay? And we should, I think, allow ourselves to, to lament in the midst of that, okay? Something has been lost, and that's hard, and it's okay to take a season to grieve that instead of holding out hope that uh, things will just, you know, return to normal maybe. That we'll just go back to the way things were. Maybe in some idealized version of the church and society that we maybe used to have. Okay? One of the reasons we struggle, I think, to, to do that is because lament is something that we are, is so foreign to us in the American church. Okay? But it's actually a very biblical and necessary habit that followers of Jesus, that those who worship God are supposed to have, okay? Read the Psalms. Read the book. There's literally a book called Lamentations in your Bible, and it's written by the people who are now in exile. It's written by the remnant, lamenting what has happened to them, okay? It's a necessary step for us to look back and grieve so that God can move us forward into what he wants to do because God wants to lead us. He wants to lead the church into something new, okay? To what might seem maybe like a new way to follow Jesus in some ways, which really isn't new. It's actually far older than the American church, okay? But it's the path that leads us forward in God's grace, okay? We need to follow the risen Lord, the active one, not some conception of, a, of him that we maybe have received from somewhere that God is allowing to die off, 
Okay? That's where we need to have our attention. That's where we need to focus ourselves on, is what God is doing in the present and leading us towards now. Okay? What new work he is doing. Now, the challenge with this is it can be uncharted territory because it's new or it feels new to us. Okay? And so if we're going to be walking into what might feel like uncharted territory as this remnant of grace, what we need is dependence. Okay? Dependence. And this is the next part of the remnant mindset. This comes from 1 Peter 8. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, now you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Okay? You depend on him. Okay? You seek him out and depend on him, even when it's hard to see it, even when the path isn't clear right in front of you, or it's not uh, as tangible as you might want it to be. You still depend on him. Okay? If we're here because of God's grace, I think we need to have a radical reliance on God's grace. You know, that is uncomfortable. And I think the church, a lot of times, what we can want to do is to try to make it happen on our own. Okay? And so we come up with initiatives or programs or strategies or five-year plans based on maybe trends or fads. And we think these things will be the thing to lead us forward or save us. Okay? Because we can control those, or at least we feel like we can. We can see them, and it gives us some comfort. There's a, a, a kind of a, a part of a book that I read a long time ago called The Art of Pastoring by a guy named David Hansen, and it's always stuck with me. He tells a story of how he had kind of just taken over as lead pastor of a church and kind of walked into the library of the previous pastor who had been the, the, the pastor there before him. Um, and he, he, le- he had learned that the pastor before him had basically lost his faith. He kind of had gotten himself so burnt out from ministry, he kind of he kind of was barely hanging on to faith anymore. And he steps into the office and he looks at just all the books in this guy's library. And what he said he sees is books and books and books reflecting different ministry trends throughout the decades. And he could kind of trace where this guy had gone based off of the books that he'd been reading to try to lead him into different fads or programs or initiatives that he felt like they needed to try to do at that church. And what David Hansen opines is that we can become so focused on following trends that we confuse following those with following Jesus. Okay, that's really powerful. I think that's always stuck with me a lot. There is. There's always going to be these trends or fads or movements that we're going to find we're going to be tempted to follow instead of just following Jesus. Okay? Now, sometimes those things, I'm not knocking them. Sometimes those things are really good and helpful. We have things at Red City we've taken from other churches or that we've read in books that we try to incorporate into what we're doing as well. Okay? They can be really good things. Okay? But we have to first and foremost be people who follow Jesus, who seek out his presence, and who depend on that, okay? The longer I do this, you guys, and I haven't been doing this that long, so this should tell you, right, how strongly I feel about this. The longer I do this, the longer I pastor, the more and more I just find myself wanting God and his grace and his presence, okay? Because I'm really convinced that that's really truly where our hope lies. It's not going to be through some fun thing that we unravel, unroll out here at Red City. It's going to change the world that we came up with on our own. It's going to be God and his presence and his grace leading us forward. Okay, at the end of the day, that's the only reason we exist, which means it's the only way we're going to survive. Okay, let's move into elasticity here. 1 Peter 5, 8-9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your, fam- that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. 
Okay, now elasticity, if you've never heard this word before, what it means is the ability of an object or material to resume its normal shape after being stretched or compressed. Okay, remember what we said about the remnant earlier. They would be the minority everywhere and the majority nowhere. They'd be strangers, they'd be misunderstood, they'd be blamed for problems in the society they lived in, and they'd be feared. The truth is, we're going to be stretched a lot. Okay, this is something... American Christians, I think, really don't like. We don't like being stretched. We want a religion that promises us all of our hopes and dreams and now and no discomfort on the path to get there. Okay, but that's not what the grace of God promises us. Okay, we're going to be treated as leftovers. We're going to be, uh, we're not going to be given the benefit of the doubt always. Okay, things aren't going to come easily. There might be weeks or months for you where you feel like all you're trying to do is follow Jesus and everything just feels contested and challenged, okay? And it's going to be immense pressure on us to either uh, conform or assimilate or find ourselves being destroyed, okay? We got to learn to, I think, to have some thick skin and expect that if we're going to be this remnant, that that's, that's how it's going to have to come, okay? We can't be surprised when we're stretched. I think we got to have some mental toughness here and not walk by sight, but walk by faith, which is going to allow us to return to our normal shape, to be elastic, okay? To not get bent out of shape or broken, but to be able to return back to the shape that we are in, the shape of God's grace, even more stretched or challenged. All right, let's wrap up here with the last one, faith and hope. First Peter 1, 6. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Okay? This is an optimism about God, what God will do with the future, okay? Not a pessimism, okay? Now, that's not always easy. Like I said, that's often going to be contested for us to actually have hope or optimism or faith about where things are headed, okay? But how we think about the future really does impact our present. It really does give us the ability, I think, to live as a, as a remnant of God in the present when we actually feel some hope, okay? If we have no hope, if we have no reason to keep going, it's going to kill us. But God's whole point of setting apart a remnant is for a good future, one that is secured by and modeled in Jesus, in his death, in his suffering, in his trial, and the hostility that he experienced as he brought the kingdom in, but was crucified for it, but also in his resurrection. Okay, and in 1 Peter, when you really read through the whole book, the big idea is a hope of life after death, of resurrection life, the same as Jesus experienced. He experienced hardship, we experience hardship. He experienced resurrection, we will experience resurrection. Okay, and so even if things don't improve in the here and now, which we can pray for and hope for and believe that God does do oftentimes, there's always going to be hope of a wonderful joy, something that no one can take away from us. Okay? It might seem far off and abstract, okay? and we have to be careful to, to just think in, about that right? and not think about the present. Okay? But if we can put our hope each and every day on the idea that God is working all things together for our good, then we will have the strength to endure anything. And I think that's what matters. That's what's going to help us to make it through living as this remnant of God's grace in the present. Okay? So at Res City, we want to be a church that responds to the time we live in by being a faithful remnant of grace. This is what we're trying to build ourselves around. The grace of being a remnant in this present moment. Okay? We want to be all in. We want 
uh, deeply for people to know us by the fruit of the Spirit. We want to lament what is dying, um, to ask hard questions, but to not get stuck hating what is dead, but to grieve and lament well so we can move forward into the new things that grace creates. Okay? We don't want to just uh, try and follow Jesus, he fads. We want to follow Jesus himself. We want to be elastic, to not break when the pressures come on us and we're stretched by the moment we're in. And we want to approach all we do with an optimism that God is still working and he's going to work through us as we walk by his grace. We're going to move into a time of, of uh, communion and worship here as we kind of reflect on this word for us, as we try to uh, spend some time seeking God out. Um, and, and one of the reasons we do communion every week is to tune ourselves back to the Jesus who experienced suffering and hardship himself and who took it on himself for us so that he could create a remnant of grace that we are now a part of. As we take communion, we partake in his trial and suffering, and we are reminded of the hope of his new life that is given to us. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll enter into that time of, uh, of prayer and communion and worship. Lord, we thank you that um, you've not left us alone in the present, where we, we try to follow you, but things are difficult, where things aren't easy. I know it's kind of a somber thing to consider, Lord, but it is a reality of the world that we live in. And we can't decide, uh, it's not up for us to decide what time we live in, but it is up to us to decide how we're going to live in the present. And I pray that you would help us to be people who follow after Jesus, who love him, who model the things that he uh, modeled for us, Lord. Help us to, to be people who live in that grace each and every day, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.